as our parents and children are going back to our seats and as our preschoolers and kindergartners are going to the nursery. Um, I want to tell you a little bit about our new sermon series that's beginning today. A couple of weeks back, we started looking uh, at the Gospel of Luke on Wednesday nights with a group of people. We've been sharing uh, and studying the Gospel of Luke together, and we also discovered that one of our disciple classes is going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke in the next uh, few months. And so I thought it might be a good idea for us to look at the Gospel of Luke here in, uh, in worship as well. And so we're going to be looking at three parables that are unique to the Gospel of Luke this month, and then we'll uh, pick up uh, in, the, in October with our stewardship season. But today we're beginning with the parable of, of Luke chapter 18, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Jesus liked to tell stories. He liked to teach by telling stories, which is maybe one of the reasons why I like to teach by telling stories. And sometimes those stories were hokey, sometimes those stories were serious, but almost always those stories that Jesus told had kind of a surprise ending, and that's what we see in our, our passage today from Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. Before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your Spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Luke chapter 18, beginning with verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven. He was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled, but all who humble themselves will be exalted. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. So just a few years back when Julianne and I bought our house, we had a few chores to do before we could move in. Mainly, we had some painting that we wanted to do. In fact, several rooms that we wanted to paint, including the hallway. And thank goodness her father came up from Orlando to help us paint. But I was painting in the hallway, and as I was painting, I saw something familiar left behind from the people who owned the house before us. There was a little growth chart there written on the wall in pencil. Maybe some of you third graders do that at your house. Right there in the hallway, the the previous owner had a child and it started kind of about waist high. They had measured the top of their head and wrote their name and wrote the date and wrote how tall they were right there. And you could slowly see in pencil very lightly up the wall how they were growing. It was familiar to me because we did this in my house as well when my brother and I were growing up. We had a place on our hallway on a wall where every now and then we would go running into the hall to see who was taller. My mom would bring a yardstick in there and tell us to stand up flush against the wall. We would push our heads up against the wall. She would draw a line, and then she would measure it and tell us how tall we were and and also write our names beside it as well. And you could slowly see how we were growing up over the years. But my brother and I also used it as a way to see who was taller, to compare ourselves to each other. I'll never forget the day when I was in high school, and I found out I was taller than my older brother. 
Even though we were in high school, we ran in there kind of like little kids. I said, we got to check this. I think I'm taller than you. And we ran in there, and my mom came in with the yardstick as well, measured us, and sure enough, I was just a, a smidge taller than he was. And, of course, my brother accused me of cheating, standing on my tiptoes. And, of course, I said, no, this is just how it is. I'm taller than you now. My father came in after that and said he wanted to be measured too. We measured him, and he was actually a, a good bit shorter than both of us. To which he replied, sons, no matter how tall you get, you will always be this much shorter than me. <laughs> he said that many times throughout our lives, in fact. But that was probably the last day that we started measuring ourselves up against the wall, comparing ourselves to, to one another by using that growth chart. Jesus gives us another way of measuring ourselves today, the way of measuring righteousness in our lives. That's what he talks about with this parable. And like those other parables that we're going to read and other parables you might have read in the Bible, he flips the idea of righteousness on its head. He, he measures it in a different way than the people of God were measuring it back in Jesus' day. He tells a story of a, a Pharisee and a tax collector who go into a temple. Now, right off the bat, we know, if you've heard that word Pharisee, you know that that's probably going to be the bad guy in the story because we've heard about Pharisees all throughout the Gospels. We've heard Jesus uh, combat against Pharisees verbally. They try to, to tear Jesus down. They try to prove that Jesus is wrong. And, and we know that Jesus is often in, in verbal battles with the Pharisees all throughout the Gospels. And so we know that the Pharisee is probably going to be the bad guy. But back in the day of Jesus, the Pharisees were the righteous ones. They were the ones who followed the law. They were the ones who, who read the law and studied the law and tried to follow the law to a T. They tried to do everything that God had called them to do. And so the people of God would have thought of the Pharisees as, yes, these are the righteous ones. These are the ones who know the law. But when Jesus mentioned the tax collector... The tax collector would have been thought to be the dirty one, the sinful one, the bad one, the one who had, had betrayed his, not only his, his community, his religious community, but also betrayed his country as well. He, he worked with this dirty, impure money and, and gave it over to the Romans and found ways to cheat people and put that money in his pockets. And so they would have easily thought that the Pharisee was going to be the held up as the righteous one in the parable and, and the tax collector was going to be the butt of a joke. If I said something to you like a, a priest and a rabbi walked into a church or walked into a bar, you would know that a joke is coming. And when Jesus said a tax collector and a Pharisee walk into the temple, they know what the butt of the joke is going to be. It's going to be the tax collector. But Jesus flips that on its head. He tells the story of a Pharisee who goes into the temple standing proud, looking at other people around him. He sees the people around him in the temple and he begins his prayer by talking about the people he sees. He says, thank you, God, that I'm not like these other people around here, these, these sinners, these adulterers, these tax collectors. Thank you, God, that I'm not like them. In fact, I do all the right things that I'm supposed to do. I'm supposed to do, don't I? I, I, I tithe every week and I, I fast every week and I try to follow the law far better than any of these people do. Surely I am righteous in your sight. The tax collector does the exact opposite. He stands in the back. He doesn't want to look at other people. He doesn't want them to look at him. In fact, he doesn't even want God to look him in the eye. So he stares down at his shoes. He can't even lift his head up to heaven. He just simply says, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus surprises the people. He says, so who is the righteous one, the Pharisee or the tax collector? And Jesus says, 
It's the tax collector. For all who are humbled will be exalted, and all who exalt themselves will be humbled. Flipping that idea of righteousness on its head. I think it's important before we go to any, any further to, to show how Jesus is measuring righteousness in this situation. It's not about their actions, in fact. I have to believe that Jesus wanted people to, to be faithful to the law. Jesus wanted people to tithe. Jesus wanted people to practice spiritual disciplines. Jesus wanted people to be uh, generous to each other and care for their neighbor like the Pharisees were known to do. That was not the problem here. And he certainly was not condoning the actions of the tax collector, the one who cheated his neighbor, the one who who cheated his his country and, and did things that no one was called to do. He was known as a sinner. He is not condoning any of that. What Jesus is looking at specifically is the words of their prayers. Because you can tell a lot about someone's faith from the words of their prayers. The words of our prayers show other people not only what we believe about God, but what we believe about ourselves and what we believe about our neighbors. The great uh, Catholic theologian Richard Rohr once said that when he traveled around the world, he noticed a difference between the prayers of people in third world countries and people in the United States. He said when he worked with people in the United States, people who had so many different resources, who had so many different blessings, he said he noticed that their prayers were often prayers of of sometimes anger and dissatisfaction. It was almost as if they had so much and they believed that God should continue to give them more. And so they noticed when their prayers weren't answered, their prayers to God were, why? Why have you not answered my prayers the way way we want you to? But then when he traveled to third world countries to people who had less resources, who had very little, their prayers were very different. They did not expect their lives to be easy. They did not expect God to shower them with blessings. And so when something good happened, they would reach up to God and say, thank you, God. Those moments when God shined down into the darkness of their world, they noticed it in their prayers. And they said, thank you. They said thank you to God because they noticed God. They saw God working in their lives even in the midst of their difficulty and their pain. We can learn a lot about our faith by who we think God is, by the way we talk to God, by through our prayers. And we can learn about that in this passage too. What does the Pharisee think about God? The Pharisee's prayer shows us that God is a God who keeps score. God is a God who is measuring us day by day. God is a God who is holding us up against each other, trying to decide who's better and who's worse, and that righteousness comes by the ways that we earn it, by the ways that we are faithful, by the ways that we try to do exactly what God tells us to do. That's the way the Pharisee sees God, and that's the way Pharisee sees his neighbor. Am I better than my neighbor? Well, if I'm doing the things that God wants me to do, then yes, I am better than my neighbor. What does the tax collector's prayer teach us about God? The tax collector simply asks for mercy. He asks for God to give him mercy in those ways that he has failed. The tax collector does not believe in a God who keeps score. The tax collector believes in a God who gives mercy. And it's the tax collector who Jesus says 
is the righteous one. In fact, it's the tax collector throughout the Gospel of Luke and all throughout the Bible that we see God working with and using as God's chosen people over and over again. It's the tax collector Zacchaeus that Jesus calls down out of the tree right there in the Gospel of Luke. It's the tax collector Matthew that God calls both in Matthew and here in the Gospel of Luke. God seems to use these people who understand that God is a God of mercy and a God of love. The great pastor, the great preacher, Will Williman, used to say that he had a, a painting that hung over his office door and over his office desk, I mean, and, and, and his uh, work at Duke University. It was a painting of the calling of Matthew, painted by some Italian many, many years ago. It also, the original hung in a chapel in Rome. And, and, and the, the, Will Williman used to say this, this painting meant so much to him because somehow it depicted his calling as a pastor. If you took a look at the picture, on one side is this little tax collector, a man named Matthew with his head slunched over. He's counting his money, kind of unaware of everything going on in the world around him. Very small, very weak, very frail, just my, like a miser honing over his money there. And then in the middle of the picture are all these tall, proud people, people of bright colors, people of beautiful faces, people who look like they might be, well, Pharisees. And then on the other end of the picture is Jesus Christ who is pointing his finger over all of those other people. His hand looks a lot like the hand of God reaching out to Adam on the ceiling of the Sistine Chapel. He's pointing on the top of all of those other people to that little man sitting in the corner counting his money. And Will Williman said, that reminds me of me because that was my calling. I was a person who needed to be called away from the life I was living, called to a new life, a life of mercy and a life of grace. Believe it or not, our current Pope, Pope Francis, when he was a priest, he used to go to Rome and look at this painting and he said the same thing. He said, that reminds me of me. This God who looked at me, a sinner, turned his gaze upon me and called me. That's what God calls us to be, our people who believe in a God of mercy because our righteousness comes not from our ability to do all the things that God calls us to do, but in our ability to trust in God's mercy and share that mercy with others. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says something similar. He says, if my sinfulness appears to me to be in any way smaller and less detestable in comparison to the sins of others, I am still not recognizing my sinfulness at all. How can I possibly serve another person in hospitality and humility if I seriously regard his sinfulness as worse than mine? God calls people who recognize they need mercy because people who need mercy and receive mercy might just dare to give that mercy to other people. That's who God calls us to be. And that's why God calls people like the tax collector. That's why God points to the tax collector and says, the tax collector is righteous. Because in his prayers, we can hear he believes in a God of mercy and not a God of self-righteousness. You can learn a lot by people's prayers by listening to the people's prayers every single day because those prayers tell us what we believe about God and what we believe about each other. Those prayers tell us what our faith is all about. 
Is our faith about self-righteousness or is our faith about mercy? Jesus Christ tells us very clearly, those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. Or maybe in a different way, those who pray self-righteous prayers will be humbled, but those who ask for mercy will be called. That's what happens to the tax collector. I, like you, spent a lot of yesterday thinking about where I was 20 years ago. I was actually just starting seminary. It was my first week of seminary, in fact. I'd only been in class just two or three days, and we had just finished a class, and someone rushed into the room and said, some things have been going on in the world. In fact, I can't really describe them all to you, but I think our nation is under attack. We kind of nervously chuckled as seminary students, and then we headed up to chapel, which was normally scheduled at about 10 o'clock every single day, and we got interrupted on our way by a television set that was sitting in front of the chapel, and we saw the dramatic things that were happening in the world. We sat there for a few minutes until finally we couldn't watch anymore, and we all went into the chapel together and prayed, and we cried. And I sat there a little bit yesterday trying to remember the things that I prayed for, 20 years ago, sitting in that chapel. I think I asked God why. I think I prayed that God would would fix the world, bring everything back. I I think I asked God for vengeance. I think I asked God to to tear down those people who care so little about the value of life and and lift up people like me who, who care for other people. I think those were the things I prayed for through my tears. But now 20 years later... My question for you and my question for me is, what are we praying for today? 20 years later, when we look at the state of the world, what are the things that we are praying for? Most of my prayers recently have been prayers asking for mercy and for unity. Mercy and unity in the midst of the world that we live in now. I pray those prayers because I believe that those prayers mean we have a God of mercy who will sometimes shine down on us in the midst of the difficult world that we live in. And we might once again experience God and say, thank you, God. We know you haven't left us alone. To borrow the words of Amanda Gorman, who wrote so beautifully yesterday, she said, I pray for days once again when we do not question those who mourn. For days when we do not hide behind our cell phones. For days when our reaction to each other's pain is to sprint into the dust, to link arms together, to check on our neighbor, and to mourn with those who mourn. I pray for days when our human reflex is unity once again. Instead of praying prayers like that Pharisee, we need to pray prayers like that tax collector. Prayers for mercy and prayers for unity. Mercy for ourselves, yes, but also mercy for our neighbor. Because that's exactly what Jesus Christ prayed when he was on the cross. Mercy for himself and mercy for his neighbor. And no matter how tall you look compared to each other, our true measuring stick is the mercy of Jesus Christ. Thank God, God shines His mercy upon us. And may we dare to shine that mercy on others to the glory of God.
Amen.